Are you wandering in the wilderness? Or are you a voice in the wilderness? Welcome to the Revival Cry podcast. This is your host, Eric Miller. Isaiah 40 verse 3 says, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The goal of this podcast is to encourage you to use the voice God has given you to make Jesus famous. Every week, we will share principles from the Word of God, interviews, and encouragement in order to strengthen your voice. Thank you for joining me today. And now here is today's podcast. Verse 6, the children of Israel for four, walked 40 years in the wilderness to all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord swore to their fathers that he would give us a land flowing with milk and honey. I know you've heard people for probably some of you years, probably some of you decades. Revival is coming. And we think, what's the point of saying that? It sounds like another broken record. But friend, if we don't believe for revival, I'm going to tell you, we've done a lot of ministry uh, overseas in America and different places, and we don't even barely scratch the surface with the amount of people that are out there. If we don't have a revival, an outpouring of God that absolutely moves in our midst because we become so desperate and we cry out to God day and night and we say, Lord, we have got to see you move. There are souls at stake for eternity. There are nations that are at stake that if you don't move right now, God, we, we need to be like John Knox who said, Lord, give me Scotland or I die. See, that type of prayer is a, is a little bit more responsible than say, I'm going to agree with you, pastor, for a breakthrough. <laughs> But see, you get in your car when you leave church and you feel so freshly stirred up in the Holy Ghost and you begin to weep and you go home and you go to work and you're with your grandkids and you're going about to the beach or your normal day and routine and you just can't get away from the things of God. And you understand that he has a vision for the world that every nation, tribe and tongue would experience the love of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I feel a great ownership of that because if I say to the Lord that I feel so grateful and ownership, yeah, I want to be a part of your kingdom and the provision that you could provide for me and my family and the breakthroughs that we experience, all of that is wonderful. But if it doesn't happen for somebody else and we're only grateful to keep it for ourselves, then we are really missing what the Lord sees. Verse seven, then Joshua circumcised their sons whom he raised up in their place for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised in a way. Verse eight. So it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, this day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore, the name of this place is called Gilgal to this day. You know what that means? There's no more Egypt that's in their DNA. That's pretty impressive. I have rolled away. The people who came out of Egypt 
and died in the wilderness, they wanted to go back to Egypt. But the ones who were born in the wilderness and are now crossing into the promised land, they didn't know what Egypt was like. We got to start to understand that when we are singing these songs about my family serving the Lord and, and taking back our destiny, there's purpose behind that. Because these kids weren't aborted out of good family situations. They were aborted because we don't value family like we should. We have given ourselves over to divorce. We have given ourselves over to our own agendas. And look, if you've experienced divorce, I want you to know there's redemption just like any other sin that we need to be forgiven of. But I want to encourage us to understand that this breakthrough of what we're experiencing with the end of Roe versus Wade, that's wonderful. But if we want to prevent it again, we need to have godly marriages and godly families and sons and daughters rising up, not just being born again, but kids who are prophesying, kids who understand the Holy Spirit, that there's no junior Holy Spirit. It's the same Holy Spirit for them. That the power of the gospel is for them. Yes. I believe that. Verse, verse 10 through 12. Now the children of Israel camped at Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. And they ate of the produce of the land on the day after Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the same day. Then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. Listen, number two, those born in the wilderness must not rely on manna, but begin to eat the fruit of the land. Early on, when we were missionaries, just starting in the Philippines, we moved there in January 2003. The first six months, we didn't do any ministry. We prayed two hours a day as a team. We moved there with four other couples. All of us got saved or got right with God at the Brownsville Revival. We would pray two hours a day, Monday through Friday. We did that for six months. We did no ministry. Now, I wanted to get out there. We wanted to go do the stuff, right? And as we're praying, I didn't realize how much God was doing in us and how necessary it was for us to lay that foundation. At the, at, at, after that six-month mark, we were supposed to be getting about, at that time, about $1,500 a month, which isn't a whole lot of money, but there were only four of us at the time. And both of our girls were just little. So we were willing to just live off of bare minimums if we had to. And that was probably our mistake because God renewed our mind after that, that he wanted to actually provide. And it's okay for us to not have to have a poverty mindset, even though we live in a nation full of poverty. And so as we're looking at our monthly reports, we're now getting $700 a month. It got down to about $300 a month for almost the rest of the year. Our rent was $350 a month. I had no, I still to this day, I have no idea how God provided all that. It was, it was amazing, but it was stressful. At the beginning of the year, we paid $2,000 for our immigration visas and everything. Each family paid about that a month. Uh, amount depending on how many people they had so come October we go to immigration just to go through some you know 
normal checkups in there, you know, just to make sure everything is in alignment. And uh, we come to find out that none of our visas were processed, that somebody had stolen the money from each family. And we now had to pay that amount plus another, like, probably 1500 or more in fees because we were there illegally. <laughs> and I was so frustrated. And at that time, I was wearing these shoes where one of my, the front of my soul would speak in tongues when I walked. <laughs> and that's how spiritual missionaries are, our shoes talking tongues. And, uh, and as we're walking, I had a Filipino pastor, didn't make a whole lot, didn't have a whole lot, looked at my shoe and he goes, Brother Eric, you should go back to the States and raise more money. And I was kind of embarrassed, you know, and I'm thinking, no, no, God's called us here. He's going to provide I'm, I'm, You know, we're men of faith and power. And in the back of my mind, I started hearing the Lord say, go back to the U.S. Go back to the U.S. That was the last thing I wanted to do. So we're praying about it. And within two weeks, $5,000 comes in. Enough to pay our immigration fees and have a one-way ticket to go to the U.S. That was not on my agenda. We get to the States in November or December that year. We're not even there a year. And I'm thinking, this is, what am I going to tell people, you know? We didn't have many churches. We probably had like two churches. And then we come, if you come after Thanksgiving and during Christmas and into January, it's the worst time for missionaries for the most part because everybody's with their families for Thanksgiving. Everybody's spending money on their presents. And, and then in January, nobody has any more money. So, you know, if you're talking about needs and raising funds and stuff, it's not a good time to come. So we're sticking around. We go to like the two churches we go to, but we have to raise up our monthly support by over at least a thousand dollars a month. And, or else they weren't, our missions board uh, wasn't going to allow us to go back for good reason. And so we're praying, we're frustrated, we don't have the open doors, how do we connect with people? And we get invited to a Methodist church um, just near, where, where's that, what's that church, Barrett Chapel? It's not, it wasn't Barrett Chapel, but it was another one, you know, yeah, in that area. Yeah, I think that maybe that's the name of the place. So we get invited. I don't normally speak in Methodist churches. <laughs> And they have three services by noontime. And I'm thinking, okay, the pastor's wearing a robe. This is a little bit different. Um, and he wants me to preach all three of those messages and then go. I even sang like the Methodist theme song, And Can It Be? But I did it all wrong because we were singing it a different way at Brownsville, not knowing that they sing it totally different to Methodist church. But they all smiled. And at the end, the you know, pastor says, would you go with me to go shake hands with people at the back? And I said, um, sure. I wasn't too excited about it. Go in the back. We're shaking hands with people as they go out and stuff. And uh, this husband and wife comes up to me and Casey and says, uh, wow, we were so moved by what God said today. Would you guys, um, would, do you have freedom to come to lunch with us today at our house? And I had my hand in my pocket and I had no cash. So I'm thinking, yeah, we'll be there. We'd love to come. <laughs> so we go with them. We got this really nice house and everything. Super people adopted two kids, have three girls of their own. 
And we go over there, don't know anything about them. And Casey and our kids and his wife and their kids go in another room. And he comes uh, over to me and he says, uh, you know, here's a pledge card. We hope this really helps. And it was a pledge card for $1,000 a month for the next year. Those people supported us for the next several years. And it was supernatural. I'm like, wow, God, you're amazing. You know, they would help pay for plane tickets going back and forth. Like they would help renovate buildings. And I mean, there was so much that these folks did. And yet there was a day. Now he was, he was a surgeon in Dover. And there was a day after all these several years of supporting us and doing all these things, they kind of became like manna to us. And then here's a day that they said, hey, we just want to give you guys a little bit of warning in these next couple of years. We're going to have to pull back the support a little because we feel like God's calling us to sell our practice and go to Kenya as missionaries. So I'm, now I'm, I'm like, okay. <laughs> I guess God trumps what my thoughts are, you know? Which was, no, you guys probably shouldn't go. You know, you should stick around. And, uh, but the Lord said, bless them and, and encourage them. And so I took a deep swallow because now we got a lot going on over there. We got a church. We have all kinds of evangelism. We're preaching around the island and all kinds of things going to Japan every year. And, and yet God said, bless them because I'm sending them. And it was a moment in time where we were crossing our Jordan. And God said, don't rely on manna anymore. He said, but begin to eat the fruit of the land. I believe we're crossing the Jordan. I believe what the Lord is saying is that what has been familiar to us in his provision for so long is he wants to change if we're willing to go with him into the promised land. He'll continue to allow us to go with what we're familiar with because he's very patient and he knows that we're all in different places. He understands that, but he also understands that there's been a lot of people saying, Lord, we want to see the sick healed. We want to see the dead raised. We, we want to see revival and awakening across our country and in the nations. And friend, if we want to see those things, there's going to need to be a price to be paid. And that price is going to come looking like faith for you and me. Because he doesn't do anything without faith. But yet, when we trust him by faith, I want to tell you, not only did God redeem that provision that had to go with them, but he actually provided more. And enabled us to do things to where even these past two years of what we have seen come in, the ministry has been more than what we've seen all prior years to being in the Philippines since 2003. In fact, I've told you this before, if you've been here, that we've been able to send at least $3,000 a month to the Philippines. And that's besides travel provision of what God's, I, I'm very honest, I've got nothing to hide. Because I want to tell you, we've seen God do it over and over and over. And I don't want any moment of our lives not to have a testimony of his goodness because he's been so good to us. Are you okay? Can I go on? 
just a little bit more. Verses 13 through 15. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And he said, jo and, and, and Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? Look what he says. He said, no, but as commander of the armies of the Lord, I have now come. Mm. And Joshua did what he should do. He fell on his face. <laughs> Not because that angel was God, but because he had something on him that he don't normally see. He fell on his face to the earth and worship and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Listen, number three, those born in the wilderness must once again stand upon the platform of holy ground. We've got a breakthrough. Lord, circumcise our hearts. Now we start walking by faith and believing for the fruit of the land. But now we get back to holiness. We get back to integrity. We get back to purity. All this garbage that's been happening in the church for decades. And it's happened even before that. I understand that. But I think a lot of it goes together of why people don't want what we have. You cry out for life, but you can't even believe for your own purity. I'm going to tell you, I had a breakthrough. I know I've shared this before. But when my family, my mom, my stepfather Jim, my brothers moved from New York, and Jesse, my buddy who's here today, grew up with our family. When, they, when we all moved from New York, we came down here, New Yorkers in Delaware. You know, everybody was like, kind of like, what are these people doing here? You know, We had to get our license plate changed really quick. I got stopped like three times on Route 1 the same day. No lie. This really happened, you know. And I'm thinking, man, they must not like New Yorkers here, you know. And it was off season too. But anyhow, they start going to the Church of God in Dagsboro. And I'm still going to college upstate New York. And they're talking about this youth pastor job here in Dagsboro, Church of God. And I don't know anything about that stuff. But I knew we had had encounters with God. But I still was struggling a lot with lust, with pornography, with anger and all these things. But nobody knew those things. That was not for anybody else to see except me, God, and the devil. <laughs> and, and the fact of the matter is, is that I came down here having that stuff in, thinking if I took that job that it would scare the sin out of me. Didn't work. We saw growth. Youth group grew from about 15 to 75 students. Church grew from 100 to 500. We purchased 40 acres of land. We were building buildings. We're doing all these big special events. We go to Sussex Tech and do an Easter cantata of 3,000 people showing up. We do Christmas cantatas, have 1,000 people there. We would do a 4th of July, which the first year we had 100 people. The next year we had 10,000. And every year it grew by another 10 or 20,000 where we had 55,000 people on the church grounds on 4th of July. 
and it, and probably some of you went and you saw the $10,000 of fireworks go up and the $12,000 stage that was built and all of these spectacular things. And we'd sing songs and everybody was excited. But here's what happened, my friend, is that not only did I have this sin going on in my life, but others in the church were struggling with things. Because if you just promote busyness all the time and not intimacy and don't become a house of prayer, you'll never be able to sustain the hard work that is in front of us to do. And it's not all up to us. It's not by our might or power. It's by his spirit. And there I am on a Sunday morning when, when it got found out that I had this junk going on in my life and I repented in August of 1997 in front of all these people, all the young people, nobody was prepared. It was kind of a last minute thing. And they asked, would you be willing to do that? And I said, yes, I, I was real hopeless and depressed. I was suicidal. All this junk. I walked down the middle of the aisle. And I felt like chains fell off of me with hooks in my flesh. That's how I've always described it. And I got to the back door where I met Casey and I said, Casey, I don't know what just happened, but I'm totally free. And, and, and let me tell you, friend, I was going to a Mimroth and Meyer New Life Clinic once a week in Baltimore, two hours one way, to go meet with a Christian psychologist to help myself. I was going, I was having accountability partners. I was doing all the stuff that you're supposed to do, reading the Neil Anderson books, Victory Over the Darkness, right? All of this, The Bondage Breaker. And I want to tell you, I was doing everything I knew to do, but it wasn't breaking through. Until that day when I humbled myself before God and surrendered everything to him, had no clue or idea what was going to happen. But this is what I'm getting to. God loves holiness. We go down to the Brownsville revival within a year. And while we're down there, people aren't coming for an event. They're coming because the spirit of God is drawing them. Thousands of people in line every day for five years. God's moving. People are getting saved, baptized in the spirit. Every week, 40, 50 people are being water baptized for five years. Missionaries are being sent around the world. I've realized that we can either ask God, we can build something and ask God to bless it, or we can get into his presence and get his mind and have him direct what we do in the affairs of our life and not try to dictate or step the ark sort of say but then watch him begin to move in our midst and we just follow the cloud I think I may have said this before too but in uh, March 2020 when we came in the states I met Jeremiah Johnson a prophetic voice never met him before we didn't know each other at all was sharing at his school down there and I just asked him to pray for me. We were in his office just talking for about 15 minutes. And I said, brother, would you just pray for me? And he says, yes. And he'd never heard my testimony and how I described it to people with chains and hooks in my flesh. And he laid his hands on me and he says, I hear the Lord saying, you've been very faithful in the Philippines. And I see you specifically taking chains off of people and pulling hooks out of their flesh. Wow. There's something to holy ground, my friend. 
There's something to what you watch at home when nobody's looking. There's something to how you speak to your spouse. There's something on how you treat your kids. There's something on how we deal with our lives. I'm not talking about legalistic. It's by grace that we can walk in freedom and holiness and prove to this world that there really is a God that he is still alive. Not just with our words, but with our integrity. Last point is this. Number four, those born in the wilderness will see baptisms of the Holy Spirit that will transform cities. The purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not just to speak in another language and fall on the ground. Derek Prince said the, the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is it's, it's not a goal, but it's a gateway. Where we understand that when we're empowered from on high that we are called to go change the world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, Georgetown, Delaware, America, the nations. That burning heart, I believe, is coming on. See, God doesn't want just a revival and awakening America. He wants another missions movement. The greatest missions movement in the history of this world has come out of America. And I will tell you... To this day, that when we go to other countries and and people see, they know all the garbage that's happening in America, but they are so grateful when Americans show up many times because they know they view this country as a Christian nation. I think a lot of that has changed. Are we a Christian nation? I think all of us would like to say that we are, but things have changed drastically. But this is why we need revival. This is why we need true awakening. Not something that can be organized by men that we put a sign outside and say revival this week, so-and-so dates to so-and-so time. But that we pray that we receive the burden of the Lord, that we cry out. What are you talking about baptisms and the Holy Spirit? Because that's the effect of lives that have been transformed. Jesus said, you must go to Jerusalem. For what reason? Well, after I die and rise from the dead, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. They didn't understand what all that meant. No idea. They get in that upper room. Over 500 people saw Jesus rise from the dead, but only 120 were in the upper room. And that 120 was a remnant that was born in the wilderness. That when they got up into that upper room and God poured out his spirit that day, the, 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 the gospel began to go around the world. You know, when, when Joshua had this encounter with this angelic host, that he's sitting there and he receives instruction of what he should and shouldn't do. But then in chapter six, do you know what that chapter's about? Jericho. There's a supernatural breakthrough that happens. See, I don't just look at Jericho as destruction, but in under the grace of God, nowadays, you know what the Lord wants to do? He wants to bring down works of darkness, but he wants to save the people in the cities. He doesn't want to just destroy cities. He doesn't want to just destroy. He doesn't, he doesn't want to destroy Russians. He doesn't want to destroy Ukrainians. He doesn't want to destroy people of different colors and, and, and different nations. I really believe he is looking for a people, even from Georgetown, Delaware, 
that will cry out and say, we have a place. Do you guys recognize the place? You are in the first state in the seat of authority, which Georgetown was first established. You are in a very unique position here in America to see a move of God take place from the, I'm not trying to put pressure on you. I'm simply saying that if we value what God values and look at things and say, there's value to prayer. There's, I was so thrilled to see the people who were here the other night on Friday night, pressing and going after, if you couldn't be here, you couldn't have been here. But I believe there's going to be more days of prayer. There's going to be more days of fasting. There's going to be more days of, of desperation. When other people are going to go fulfill the lust of their flesh, you're going to go hide in a prayer closet at times. I'm not saying we can't have fun as Christians. We should. We should be the most happiest people in the world. But our happiness doesn't come from the money in our pocket. It comes from a clean hands and a pure heart. I want to end with this and then just pray. Richard Blackaby said this, some leadership proponents suggest leaders should determine their talents and their passion and in doing and in so doing, they determine their calling. They argue if you understand the passion God has given you and identify the gifts God placed in your life, then you can deduce the kinds of things God has prepared you to do. The problem with this line of thinking is the lack of biblical support. Consider Moses herding sheep in the wilderness. Had he discovered his gifts and passions, he would have never returned to Egypt to deliver the Jews, the Hebrews. But that was God's agenda. Second, it is tempting to assume God wants us to do things we enjoy and are good at doing. However, for God to accomplish his purposes, he may ask us to do things that we do not consider enjoyable. He asked Jesus to die on a cross. But they are necessary tasks for God's will to be fulfilled. It's great to be passionate about the work you do. However, spiritual leaders are driven by God, not their passions and talents. This is what we have given ourselves over to these last 50 years. Our passion and talents. Instead, now we have to give ourselves over to the spirit of God. And we say, no longer are we going to promote men. But our entire purpose is to make Jesus famous. Thank you for listening to Revival Cry with Eric Miller. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review for this podcast on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To find out more or partner with our missions work around the world, please visit us at revivalcry.org. I look forward to being with you next week.